0: Hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. That it was very
1: important to finish uh, and to collect the trophy and to win 10 games and win a game on New Year's Day and all those things. And uh, believe me, we had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special; just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun; it ought to be illegal.
2: I said in my press conference back
1: in December that I didn't feel like there was anything at South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I'm even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. So There's a report in the Houston Chronicle that, that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC. <laughs> I bet they would.
3: <laughs> oh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and flying solo once again, but hey, I got another guest lined up first time on the podcast, my buddy, Jason Hirschhorn. We met during my days at uh, NFL.com. He's one of the most knowledgeable football fans I've ever met, and he covers, of course, uh, the NFL and all the teams up there still working over there for the league office, so he's got great connections And I wanted to have him on to provide some insight into uh, the Liam Cohen jumping back to the NFL and, of course, Kentucky's new offensive coordinator, which we have quotes from him here, Rich Scangarello, who I butchered his name every damn time I've said it, so I think I finally got it down, and we'll get to that interview in just a minute. But we got clips from the Kentucky coaching staff. We got clips from Spencer Rattler. Loaded, loaded show here to continue the week strong and it looks like we're going to have our first in studio guest appearance downtown nashville uh to close out the week strong so look forward to that it's going to be a very very unique podcast coming your way to close out the week so hey let's get this thing on the road and before we get to uh everything i just previewed there just wanted to give a special shout out to tennessee and vol twitter where you know that they're a fan base they're We've all got our crazies, but Vol Twitter, they seem to have quite a few. But Vol Twitter ranks near the top of the list when it comes to crazies. But, hey, you get that name fan for a reason, because these are fanatical people, and they have stepped up in a huge, huge way. So credit to Vol Nation, and you may be asking, what the hell am I talking about here? Tennessee freshman guard, if you've not heard this story, Zakai Ziegler, his mother's house burnt down. He's from New York, and his mother has uh, adopted, I believe it's uh, Ziegler's cousin, and he's it, a special needs child. They've lost everything, all the possessions, their home. It's It all literally went up in smoke. And they started a GoFundMe here on Wednesday evening looking to hopefully gain $50,000 to move the family to Knoxville, get all the medical expenses paid for this child in need and everything like that. So, $50,000 that's a ton of money and Tennessee fans raise that within 30 minutes, $50,000 and four after 4 hours after this GoFundMe which has been cleared by Tennessee Athletics is all perfectly Uh, Above board and any money they get that exceeds what they need. They're donating it to charity two hundred and thirty three thousand dollars as of four hours since the uh, posting and probably more As I'm sitting here saying it I haven't checked it in about 15 minutes. It's probably over two hundred fifty Thousand at this point. It's probably gonna be over three hundred thousand by the time you hear this podcast So hey, say what you want about Tennessee, but they take care of their own and they got some outstanding, outstanding fans. As this is case in point, Zakai Ziegler and his family don't have to worry about uh, losing their home. You know, can you imagine going through that horror? Yet here we are, uh, because of the great, great Tennessee fans and other fans across the SEC. It's not just Tennessee fans that have donated to this cause. Tremendous, tremendous outpouring of support from uh, these Tennessee and SEC fans. Well, a job well done, right there. All right, moving on with the show here. Kentucky met with the media here first time in several weeks. They announced their spring camp is going to start next week. We also got Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher. He is meeting with the media, I believe, on Thursday. So the Aggies are going to get kicked off here right around the corner. Spring football popping up all over the SEC. That's what we love to see because we need the content right now more than ever, and of course the big topic now in Kentucky, what's this going to look like with the new offensive coordinator Liam Cohen jumping back to the NFL, going to reunite with Sean McVeigh and the Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. Interestingly, you know, I shared on here that uh, Liam Cohen helped Mark Stoops in this interview process to land a new offensive coordinator. According to Coach Stoops, Will Levis also played a hand in interviewing these coaches and trying to fit the right fit for the program to make sure that, uh, you know, you're not going to have continuity with the same offensive coordinator, but they wanted a similar theme coming from the coaching tree of Sean McVay and and the Shanahan family. That's something we'll talk about here with Jason Hirschhorn in just a moment. But let's kick it over to Mark Stoops first on staying with the same offensive Branch, so to speak, of the McVay-Shanahan system in Scan Scangarello, the offensive coordinator. And don't forget the offensive line coach, Zach Yenzer. He's a Kentucky native, but he also comes from the San Francisco 49ers. So he was an assistant offensive line coach last season with the Niners. One of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. Now you're getting the offensive line coach and your offensive coordinator. Both come from the same system which should help a ton when you're breaking in those two positions specifically. They know each other, they get along, and they go hand in hand with this new Kentucky offense. So let's kick it over to Coach Stoops talking about these hires and not wanting to get too far from what they've already established there in Lexington. Mark, how important was it to kind of, when you're going out and looking for a coach to stay, kind of in that Shanahan, I guess McVay coaching tree,
1: it was very important, um, you know when Liam was here and we lost our online coach, you know the first the first book we open is is was the forty nineers you know that's the first first place we go and uh, liam first place liam went, and that's you know he brought up Zach and then we did the research on Zach, and it was kind of a a no brainer to hire him as well uh, and then when I uh come to find out that Rich had interest in this job um, you know, it really happened fast. Uh, again, you're under some pressure just because of timing. I didn't, I didn't, you know, feel, you know, we we had a good idea this could happen. And so we we're keeping things, you know, fluid. I was keeping guys in mind and uh, it was remarkable the amount of candidates and the amount of people and the quality people that were interested in this job. Again, it says a lot about our coaches and our team and uh, the way they do things to attract the people that we did. And, you know, but being so late, you know, you do feel a little, little, little crunch, a little, little pressure to get things done. And, uh, you know, so I had a, a very good process of some very talented coaches. And, uh, you know, although it's uh, kind of, Time-consuming and strenuous to go through. It's still uh, eye-opening at times and very good to go through that process and just listen to the talented people and ideas and different things. And uh, you know, once again, when when Rich and I connected, uh, things moved pretty fast after that.
3: Mark, were you surprised that Rich wanted the job? Was that kind of that kind I was of
1: pleased. I was pleased. I was. I was. I was excited. It's funny, Liam. You know you guys heard that, but Liam helped me through the process too. It's really a unique situation. Most of the time, if in any, in, in our world, you get a job, you're here today, gone tomorrow, you know, and with Liam, with the, with the way he was hired after the Super Bowl, he already knew coach McVeigh. you know what I mean? So it was an easy transition. I'm sure coach wanted to take a minute. You know what I mean? So Liam has had some time. It's kind of unique, but he's, you know, so he's helped me through the process. And just, just because I, um, uh, you know, I'm very confident in him. We have a good relationship, and uh, you know, he 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 like I, I want. I just wanted his input. You know what I mean? I wanted somebody that was speaking the same language, and and you know, when he and I when I talked to him about Rich, we were both like very excited. You know, talking on the phone uh, late one evening. What
0: are some of the benefits to having Rich and Yenzer work together last year? Come to life. I think
1: that's very important. Um, You know, I don't know if it would have been a deal breaker. I mean, you're going to talk to Rich and, you know, I'm pretty open about that. Guys can say what they want. You know what I mean? But I'm sure it was probably more attractive to him knowing that he had Zach here. Um, Because, you know, it's it's super important to have your offensive line coach and your offensive coordinator on the same page. I mean, that's a whole major piece of this offense that he knows Zach's going to speak the same language and teach it the way he wants to be I think that's the big thing with us now is taking it to another level being precise being detailed and that's how you'll take it to another level and improve
3: so after hearing these concerns you know I gotta be honest I was ready to downgrade Kentucky a little bit here losing Liam Cohen this offseason, especially with uh, spring football, obviously right around the corner. We're going to get it kicked off next week in Lexington. How are you going to bring in a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach that are basically going to be sticking with the same thing, particularly when you're looking to, across the NFL to hire these people? But hey, credit Mark Stoops and company for getting that done. I don't know that they could have done much better, given the fact that uh, the, the timeline for this decision And according to Mark Stoops, I mean, they were just waiting out the L.A. Rams. Lots of jobs passed up by Liam Cohen this offseason. Kind of the highlight from Mark Stoops' press appearance here this week, telling the the behind-the-scenes of Liam Cohen deciding to take this job. And basically, Will Levis and Mark Stoops just holding their breath, waiting for the Rams to hire an offensive coordinator until, unfortunately, that call came through, and it was for Liam Cohen. Good for him but uh, not obviously necessarily great for the Kentucky Wildcats. Coach, right, so I know you mentioned you're looking forward, but that moment when Liam did leave, how tough was that? Just not only for, not only for you, but for Will and for C-Rod. You know, it was,
1: was hard. It? Yeah, it was, definitely was. You know, uh, I, I guess I could tell the story how it went, and Will will, will attest to this. Will and I were in the uh, weight room, and I that was – I certainly wasn't working out, obviously. <laughs> but, but we're in the weight room and I'm walking through just talking to guys and, you know, connecting with our players and, and just checking things out and Will approached me and he was like, what's going on? I was like, listen, Will, I'm like, you know, the guy's been unbelievably loyal to us. He's turned down NFL opportunities, Has turned down college opportunities, didn't blink an eye, tough decisions. But he showed extreme loyalty because of the situation. And he knew a year ago when I talked to him, I'm like, I need two years, you know, minimum. And, you know, sometimes you don't always get that. It, but and I was talk, talking to Will, literally talking to Will. And I said, you know, he's shown extreme loyalty. He's here. I said, we do have to worry about L.A. You know what I mean? They just got done with the Super Bowl. I was there. And uh, this was maybe Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember exactly what day it was uh, after the Super Bowl. Couldn't have been Monday. I traveled home on Monday. So maybe Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to Will. I'm saying we just got to ride out, you know, L.A. I don't know. You know what I mean? Surely this guy spent, just went through an unbelievably long season. And I don't know what they're going to do. I said, so we'll see. As we were talking, I'm not shitting you. He calls me. And I show will. He's, and he just, you gotta be kidding me. So... we were just talking about that and and liam really had no idea i think he got a call late the night before and um you know so he just found out i want to say midnight the night before and uh that that he that it was even a possibility you know what i mean and so um you know i'm not sure it was a done deal at that point in time but yeah i know uh you know when i got the call from sean that he was interested in talking to liam um that uh you know that I was disappointed, you know, obviously because we knew we had a good one, a great one, and uh, but you know I'm really happy for him and I'm really happy the way things worked out. You know, things happen for a reason, and we'll we'll be fine no matter what. I mean, it, it's this culture, it's the it's this organization, it's there's a lot of things. I mean, you look at some uh, pretty successful team, one team in particular in this league, and and probably put georgia in that along with alabama they get a turnover all the time and they continue to win i mean that says a lot for for their program and and i wanted to do it that way where i continued the system that makes it
3: easier and then when stoops was done talking the new offensive coordinator rich scangarello again i think i nailed it there he met with the media why did you want to make this jump to the college game that's something that uh he's been in, he's been a college coach before he knows recruiting he's been an offensive coordinator at this level he's been an offensive coordinator in the nfl spent a number of years in the nfl usually you see it the reverse college coaches desperate to become nfl coaches now we got again second year in a row mark stoops reaches into the nfl ranks to get himself an offensive coordinator that knows this mcveigh shanahan system that is not being run anywhere else in the SEC right now. So what made Rich want to make his jump? Here's his answer. Well, I come back to college, SEC.
4: For me per, uh, personally, the timing was, was perfect. i uh excited to be in charge of the offense again and uh, felt like it was just time to go coordinate and do it. And, and it just happened to be the right head coach and the right situation that fit perfectly for where I was uh, at my point in my career. And, Excited to be here because of it. When you that
3: decision, what are you looking at? or was where you kind of
4: looked at other places? No, I was not looking at other places. Um, quite honestly, this was the only college uh, opportunity I even considered. Um, I think that I just aligned with where Coach Stoops is for what he's looking for out of his offense, what he believes at the core. And it, it, what I had heard, the kind of man he was to work for, the situation. And I don't know that I jumped in immediately to the opportunity. I wanted to make sure it was right for me and I explored it and um, watched plenty of their tape. And it just, uh, it seemed like a very good fit. And I think that that made the transition easy for me.
3: Another comment that really caught my eye during his uh, media availability was the fact that, uh, you know, he said he was watching Kentucky this fall and this quarterback really caught his eye of course Will Levis who is hoping to make that jump to the NFL next offseason and to get there he's going to need the help of his new offensive coordinator based on what uh Kentucky's new offensive coordinator had to say about uh, Levis catching his eye early before this job ever became on his radar certainly sounds like Will Levis the continued progression of his game is going to go higher and higher with uh, Scan Garelo here calling the plays in Lexington next season. How, how,
4: how big was that to have a guy, a will that's kind of proven? And what do you see on tape specifically with him, and what kind of excites you to get the chance to work with him? It is, it's random, but I, I caught. I want to say it was the LSU game last year, but it was there was a game where we were sitting watching, uh, having you a know, Saturday night dinner in the NFL before our team meetings and, and Kentucky was on. And I, I was like, man, that, and I, I just, quarterbacks catch my eye. It's, it's kind of what I do, I would think. Um, and uh, I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. And uh, it just something that I remembered. And then when this all happened uh, pretty fast and I went back and I watched Kentucky's tape, I was like, the qualities that I would look for in a quarterback, he possesses a lot of them. And um, I think that's—it's uh, fun to work with guys like that and help them, you know, just kind of bring out their best game. And that's my goal. What are
0: those qualities?
4: Is it arm strength? Is it size? Is it pocket mobility? It, you know—I I would say this: like, it's the toughest to me. Well, let's say the NFL to play quarterback at the highest level to me is the toughest thing in sports to do. And that requires toughness. It requires an intellect, a football intellect, um, processing ability, and then the physical ability to pull it off that can look a lot of different ways. Some guys are, you know, it could be Drew Brees and Mahomes and everything in between, Josh Allen, how you play. Those are the kind of the top guys. And so the ability to be an athlete, to be an above-the-line thrower that has more in you um, and that toughness and smarts, those are the kinds of things that I would always look to work with.
3: Now moving on to the uh, new offensive line coach, Zach Yenzer. Again, also comes to Kentucky from the San Francisco 49ers, a Kentucky native. But how about this? This is how small of a world it is. He GA'd under John Schlerman once upon a time. So he knows all about Coach Schlerman and you know just how much reverence they have for him. They're in Lexington, of course. if you don't, All Kentucky fans know this, but maybe some other SEC fans don't. Tragically passed away a little over a uh, It was during the 2020 season. They honor Coach Schlerman there in Lexington, the big blue wall. It just means a lot to them down there. And, of course, the foundation of that program is the offensive line. So here's Coach Yenzer on wanting to honor Coach Schlerman. I just thought this was really cool. Gave him a shout-out here. And on the proud tradition, he understands fully what he's walking into in being the offensive line coach in Lexington.
0: Uh, Yes, sir. So I got done playing at Troy in 2006. I actually played for um, Neil Brown was on staff. Tony Franklin was the offense coordinator. Neil was the inside receivers coach. And then when I got done playing in 2006, our line coach left for Texas Tech. And um, Coach Franklin hired John Schlarman as the offense line coach. And um, I came back to be his graduate assistant when I got done playing at Troy. So that was my first connection with uh, Schlar in 2007. That, that one year before I left and took a Division two job. Mark,
3: Stoops was saying that he sees some similarities. How do you think, you know, you know how did John impact Yeah. You? How, how, did, how, how do you think you sort of carry on? His...
0: No doubt. I, I Schlauer was just, he was such an impactful person for me as a young football coach, just seeing how he treated the players. Um, and it was really cool to see it as a young guy because you heard stories about co- – you know, coaching football where you couldn't be a good football coach and like a good father, a good husband. Like you couldn't, just the time and watching him as a young guy do it and uh, how he treated his players and and, and how he treated his family. Um, and he was a daggone good football coach. So he, you know, he always, he, everybody was a little different. Like he, he treated everybody a little different. You know, he kind of knew how that guy, each person ticked. He'd You know, he would get up close to some guys or he would, you know, he knew who he could talk to in front of the room. And, and just all taking all that in as a young football coach um, has been very impactful for me.
1: are you going to wrap your head around the whole fact that you
0: started with Slarman and now you're here? You know, I, I can tell you right now, it's it's very surreal. Like, it just really surreal to think about it because it's – um, just keeping up with Schlar throughout, you know, when when once I started with him and then as we kind of grew, he stayed at Troy. I went on to a division two school and then ended up going in GA and at La Tech and stuff like that for, for coach Franklin again, but just always staying in touch because of the impact that he had on me. And then seeing what he did here starting in 2016 and where, where the pinnacle of it when they win in 10 games and everything like that. And then honestly, like now, taking over that room it it, i'm starting to understand i mean i i I really haven't wrapped like you said i really have not wrapped my brain around it like it's still surreal to me um it's a absolute privilege to do it um and like i've told you guys before like i'm not taking it lightly at all but it is it's very surreal how just full circle it's come um and i mean since 2007 when i started working for him
2: like be a an honor
0: at the same time. It one hundred percent an honor. I mean, it, it, it the responsibility because you know what you have to do as a football coach. You know your responsibility as an O line coach, and I I do believe it's the most important position on the field. Um, but there is a little bit extra of I want to do a good job for John. I want to do a good job for his family and just to carry on that tradition.
3: So how about that? I mean, I just just what a crazy coincidence that is that Yenzer. Uh, coached under schlarman once upon a time and now he's you know i know eric wolford was in between but it's almost like he's taken over the pro the group from schlarman these are a lot of schlarman recruits here that he'll be working with on the offensive line it's just wild how this stuff kind of works out sometimes But all right, as promised, let's get to our interview here with Jason Hirschhorn. I think you guys are really, really going to appreciate the knowledge this guy drops. I'm I'm being completely honest here. One of the smartest football minds I've ever run across. And even at NFL Network, he stood out. I mean, that's a that's a building full of people that know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to football. And uh, Jason really stood out. So gave us some good quality time here talking uh, some offensive football and why Kentucky should be pretty fired up to have uh, this pair as their new offensive duo in Lexington. We're pleased to be joined by a good buddy of mine, Jason B. Hirschhorn. God, let me start that again. <laughs> I, I do this. The first,
5: look, I, I don't feel bad about it. Everyone fucks it up. It's not just you.
3: Okay, perfect. We're pleased to be joined by a good buddy of mine, Jason B. Hirschhorn. Nailed it. You can give him a follow at by underscore JBH on the Twitter machine, a must follow. He's an award-winning NFL and college football writer. And most importantly, where I follow him the most now, he's the co-founder of The Leap, a Green Bay Packers newsletter. You can get that at www.theleap.substack.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate you.
5: I appreciate you nailing that long list (laughs) of credentials. So thank you.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and the main thing I want to have you on to talk about Liam Cohen and the uh, transition there with uh, the new offensive coordinator with the Kentucky Wildcats because this is someone that I have been hearing about from you for weeks and weeks prior to uh, Cohen leaving Kentucky and, and of course, going back to the L.A. Rams reuniting with Sean McVay, but, uh, you know, that just gave me a general sense of the rise the the meteoric rise of Liam Cohen in the eyes of the NFL so uh, i would say you're certainly not surprised at all that uh, once this offensive coordinator position came open with the rams that that Cohen was uh you know obviously Sha- Sean McVay's man there so what can you tell me behind the scenes uh given that uh, only after one year as an offensive coordinator McVay's already back in the NFL as an OC
5: well, it wasn't just the Rams, by the way, that wanted to get Liam Cohen in the building. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings were on that list. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, who was recently the offensive coordinator for the Rams, moving there and had an interest that obviously overlapped back in L.A. I'd also heard there was a possibility that the Green Bay Packers, who knew there was going to be some movement on their coaching staff, was also interested in bringing him in. But I think to really understand Liam Cohen, what he is now and what he has been and where he will be in the future, you have to go back to mid-December 2020, that's when Kentucky hired him to be their offensive coordinator. At that time, I knew of him. I knew his name, didn't know a lot else about him, so I asked around the league in terms of what his reputation was, where people thought he might go. And you heard a lot of really positive things. It really reminded me of the way that Joe Brady was discussed, not after LSU won the title, but when LSU hired him to be part of that offensive coaching staff. And I even had one particular contact in the league say this could be transformative for that Kentucky offense in the way that Joe Brady was for LSU. Now, this is obviously very different. LSU went on to win the national title, had a Heisman Mm -hmm. Trophy winning quarterback. Kentucky was not going to be that. But the way that Cone transformed that offense really brought that wide zone play action based scheme to the college level. I think is really indicative of of a larger trend that we're seeing because this is an offensive scheme, at least at its foundational level, that has become extremely popular in the NFL. About half the teams currently run some version of it, and it's becoming more popular in college as well. And it working at Kentucky in the SEC, that was one of the most efficient offenses in all of college football, despite the high level of competition they play, as you and your listeners know really speaks to how this could be a big part of all of college football in the not too the future.
3: Yeah. And Kentucky is only two years removed from a hey, Lynn Bowden. He was fantastic, but the offense was basically the Lynn Bowden show going wildcat. And I mean, he, that man had no ability to throw the ball. Uh, fast forward a year later, Terry Wilson, you know, that was a failed experiment. And Kentucky was, I think literally the worst passing team in the power five. and And you just You know, we all know what Liam Cohen was able to do with Will Levis, no doubt, who before he even went down to Kentucky, he had more rushing attempts at Penn State as a quarterback than he did passing attempts. Yet uh, now he's emerging as someone that I know it's a year away, but I think he's already on NFL radar. Someone that, uh, you know, these these teams are going to be looking at based partly because of the scheme he's running. How impressive of a job do you think Liam Cohen did in just one year? taking a complex system and making it, uh, you know, translating it to the college athlete where, you know, that's, that's a task. I think a lot easier said than done. Yeah. And
5: I think translating it is actually really the important part of this, the system itself It's not actually overly complicated. I know it's an NFL system and people get bogged down in that, but this isn't like when Bill Walsh tried to take the West Coast offense to Stanford decades and decades ago. It is is an offense that by design is trying to make a lot of different things look similar for the first second and change of the play to confuse the defense. And it offers a lot of you know, proverbial layups for the quarterback. It's why, to your point, Will Levis was able to translate so well into it because it's not asking him to do that many different things, it's asking him to do, you know, one to two reads, very simple, and you can create a lot of big plays off of that, but you still have to translate it. I mean that literally to the college level you look at some of the verbiage that's used in sort of the traditional form of this offense, you can get to like 16, 20 syllables very easily. That's a lot harder to do at the college level. It's a lot harder to do at the NFL level now too. So literally turning that into simpler terminology, this is something that Sean McVay has done since he arrived in Los Angeles. and certainly something that we've seen Liam Cohn and others do coming off of that trait. It makes it very digestible for those players, even though the concepts are still fundamentally the same. And that's part of the reason why you saw all those big plays coming out of Kentucky. You know, you know, Wondell Robinson was probably going to make big plays in almost any offense that he was in, but he became a premier NFL prospect as the guy who was like the primary deep shot target on some of those other Yankee concepts in a traditional verbiage. But we saw a lot of them this past year with Kentucky. Burner, which is a big one where you have the hard play action quarterback turns his back to the defense. You have one receiver running sort of the deep cross, another one running either a corner or an angle route over it, and those were where you saw some of the biggest plays in all of college football last year. You're going to see more of that in the future. You know, we're we're going to get into the ways in which Kentucky has tried to replace Liam Cohen, but these sort of big plays built off of play action, built off of the running game is not just something we're going to see in the NFL more and more. It's something I think we're going to see more and more in college because we've seen, you know, in the previous decades, the various forms of the spread offense proliferate. Eventually that was going to come back the other way because, you know, there's only so much talent to go around that can work in that scheme, and there's going to be all this talent that is undervalued that other smarter teams are going to take advantage of.
3: Mm-hmm. Now that being said, considering Kentucky's going into year two, it'll be a new coordinator, of course. But uh, you know, Rick Scangarello, man, I can't. I put Scangarello. You the, no, he no, gets me too, man. There you go, Rich Scangarello. He's come out here and said, you know, he's not going to reinvent the wheel. He's going to put his stamp on it, of course. But uh, if they keep it, you know, without uh, uh, changing it up too much for the for the players, how much of, a, of an advantage and, and how much continuity do you think uh, the Wildcats can have? Because believe it or not, Jason, I mean, there's hype there in Lexington that uh, this could be the year that Kentucky finally reaches Atlanta. Um, so, I, you know, if they just completely change the offense, that ain't going to happen. But uh, it certainly doesn't sound like that's what they're going to try to do this season.
5: Yeah, and this is one of the ways that Liam Cohen as an individual could be different in a positive way from Joe Brady. We already made that comparison, but when Joe Brady left, LSU didn't really have any real way of replacing that full effect that he brought. Conversely, because Liam Cohen is not just this individual running this particular thing that's hard to find, he's part of this larger movement in all of football, it's easier to find people who run or understand at least some version of that offense. Scangarello, while not someone who was coming off you know, that Ram staff, is still connected to that scheme. It's that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay dominated scheme. Scangarello comes out of that you know, He spent time with the 49ers later on went to run the scheme himself with denver bronco so he does have some play calling experience running this particular offense now the year in denver didn't go super well but i would point to the personnel that they had particularly a quarterback and say that that's the main reason that it didn't work out Scangarello eventually returns back to the nest with san francisco works as the quarterback's coach so he's still coming in with that same perspective or a similar perspective to that that Liam Cohen originally brought to Kentucky. So Scangarello running the same scheme that's already been installed there. They already have the offensive line, that outside zone fully installed, which tends to be, according to the coaches, the hardest part to really master with the players. That's already there. All he has to do is just take control of the wheel. Maybe he won't be as good as Liam Cohen. Chances are he won't be. Liam Cohen was absolutely fantastic but he might be really, really good. And maybe a year or two from now, we're talking about him moving on to a bigger job, but again, it's still, they have this system that at that point is fully installed. There's a lot of people from that system that they can look to, to replace people who move out and they can keep this going, which is why I think that Kentucky, not just in 2022, but as long as they're trying to do this version of offense could have a lot of sustainable success.
3: Now, another point that he made during his uh, intro there at Kentucky, he's got, college experience but of course he uh, as you just pointed out he's been in the NFL a number of years and the reason the main reason he says he wanted to make that jump is because college became more of a spread offense you know that had taken over the college game and now we're seeing that transition a little bit uh, more a mesh of a pro style and a spread or what have you do you think that's an accurate statement? At least in the broad strokes, it absolutely
5: is. You know, you look at where college football was at the highest level, or even just the FBS level, talking about all those teams, You know, five, 10 years ago, you had exceptions. But for the most part, you're talking about these very wide open offenses, a lot of 10 personnel, that is four wide receivers on the field. And now you're starting to see a pushback to the middle of the game. You know, This offense Kentucky runs and a lot of other teams are starting to run in college. It involves additional tight ends, sometimes 12 personnel. That means two tight ends on the field. Sometimes there's versions of it where you see two running backs and a tight end. And even though that sounds like it's very running game centric, that's not really the way that it plays out in terms of the play calling. Like the scheme is based on the run game, but it doesn't mean that it's a run dominated play calling offense, at least the way that it's run in the modern era. You know, you look across the NFL, the teams that are running this, you know, the Los Angeles Rams, obviously running a very similar scheme. They pass a lot more than they ran, even though it's a scheme built on the run. But it's about trying to force the defenses into these disadvantageous situations. You force them into heavier personnel because when you do run the ball, you can't have light guys in the box. Otherwise, they'll take advantage of it. Kentucky obviously has the personnel to do that and has done so for a long time. When you get them into those heavier packages, we're able to pull the linebackers in with that play action. And then attack the middle of the field, that area that's vacated. That's where you see those big plays. That's why the scheme has been so effective. And you don't have to have all five and four stars to make this offense work because of the things that it does to help the quarterback. So, you know, Kentucky may end up getting over time better recruits because of the offense that they've put together in in 2021, may continue to put together in 2022 and beyond. But even if they're still recruiting at roughly the same level they are now, if they're working in a scheme like this, they could still have a lot of success on offense.
3: Are there enough uh, coaches here in NFL and college to to take over this offense all over the NFL, all over college football? I mean, my goodness, if you just run into Sean McVay, get, you're going to at least an interview to be a head coach somewhere, it seems like, these days.
5: Yeah, I mean, that, that's that been the joke, but there's also <laughs> some truth to it, right? Like, and it's not just Sean McVay. I think we have to look at this coaching tree as the Shanahan's and the McVay's. Because those obviously those two coaches worked together in Washington in the early 2000s or the early 2010s that is, but you know they've gone separate ways with still keeping similar you know fundamental offensive roots. You know San Francisco does actually run a lot more than your not just typical NFL team, just your typical football team in the modern era because they have issues at quarterback, but they're still able to scheme big plays through that scheme. Now you look at the Rams we just talked about. They pass a lot. Look at the Green Bay Packers. They obviously pass a lot in neutral situations. Even coaches didn't really directly come off of those trees, like Kevin Stefanski with the Cleveland Browns. You know, he's running a similar scheme. So again, there's a lot of this in the NFL. And the more teams that install it, the more assistant coaches will eventually be there, you know, for the taking. You know, to bring back to your original point with the Rams, you know, Thomas Brown, who's been the assistant head coach for about a year and changed. Now he's already interviewed to be a head coach. He didn't land one of those gigs this year, but that could come in time. He's someone that, you know, let's say a year or two from now, uh, Kentucky or another program decides they want to run this offense. He's someone that can have a lot of interest from those programs because he brings in all the institutional knowledge. It is the scheme that is easier on the quarterbacks and easier on the players, but still involves a lot of technical skill from those coaches, which is why The more it's being run in the NFL and in college, the more opportunities there will be to bring it on board. You know, at some point that too will cycle out. All these things are cyclical, but for the time being, this is an offense that a lot of teams
3: are interested in. Thomas Brown, he's a proud uh, Georgia man. He, he's, he was a bulldog coach at Georgia. You know, I, I didn't, I forgot, I wanted to ask you this too, with the NIL of course, and the transfer portal and all this, it certainly seems like any and every college assistant, that can get an NFL job is leaping to take that job. Uh, I mean, do you see any end in sight? And I mean, are you seeing that on your end as well? Just these coaches desperate to get to the NFL?
5: Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily because of NIL itself or just because of the transfer portal. For the most part, the coaches that I've spoken to about this particular issue talk about the work-life balance. There's no version of being a football coach that involves you having great work-life balance but it is closer to being reasonable in the nfl at present than it is in college i think that's to do with the multiple national signing days the the transfer portal does play somewhat of a role here like you can't just recruit the players to your program you've got to continue engaging them after that especially if it's someone who is developing on the sidelines and in practice but not on the field during games you know, it's a lot of extra work, a lot of time. I've already compared to being like a, a young politician in D.C. where you think you're going there you're going to be making laws. But in reality, the majority of the time is spent making phone calls and talking to donors like that is a big, big part of college football. And it always has been. But it's now an even bigger element in the current era. So, yeah. At some point, maybe that'll even out. You know, it's it's not like the NFL exactly is limiting the amount of work these coaches have to do outside of game planning. So if that eventually becomes, you know, a 365 day year job the way it is in college, maybe that evens out. But as it stands, there are a lot of coaches who do like a lot of elements of being in college football but don't love the amount of non-football things that they feel they have to do.
3: If you had to pick one SEC head coach to make uh, the jump to the NFL and you think you'd be the best NFL coach, you on the spot, can you? Is there one that jumps out to you, Lane Kiffin? Maybe, of course, he kind of flamed out there at, at Oakland, didn't he? He did, but I, I
5: don't think that it's ultimately disqualifying. We've seen other coaches that flamed out in early runs get second chance in the NFL, you know, Josh McDaniels most recently, a very, very similar career trajectory uh, as Lane Kiffin. I think still the answer, though, is Nick Saban. I, I'm aware <laughs> of his age, but. You would be, maybe you wouldn't be amazed actually at the amount of NFL owners that would love, love, love to bring Nick Saban in. As far as I know, Saban has no interest in doing that again, but I've never heard him definitively say that he would never do that again. And even if he had said that, I mean, he said he wasn't going to be the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, (laughs) and we, we saw how that played out. But yeah, I mean, Nick Saban, even if you knew you were only going to get him for, let's say, five years, I think there are a lot of NFL teams that would throw their current guy out to bring him in.
3: Yeah, he owes it to the SEC to give that one more go in the NFL. All right, last thing for you, Jason. I know you're you're a proud uh, Illinois man. How you feeling about this uh, Burt Bielema era? Because that's one of our favorite guys out out here in SEC land.
5: Uh, It has been very interesting to say the least. He he was not someone who was initially on a lot of radars when that job first opened up after they fired Lovey Smith, and then very quickly accelerated into being the favorite and then signed on. The staff he's put together is probably the strongest compliment you can give him. Ryan Waller's a name I know you're also familiar with because he was the defensive coordinator for Missouri. He has made a very big impression on not just other college football coaches, and he'll probably be a head coach in that the future. He might have a future in the NFL as well, You know, as related to our previous conversation. So he's put together a staff of a lot of up-and-coming head coaches. It's, for the most part, a very young staff. And as we've seen across college football, that seems to be the way they do it. You have the the, sort of the CEO type that surrounds himself with very energetic assistants. I mean, Shane Beamer with South Carolina has done a very similar thing. And we've seen how quickly he has turned around that program. So Mm -hmm. I I think from that perspective, it's been positive. But I've seen a lot of the Burke show over time. So I'm still
3: withholding (laughs) final verdict here. All right. He's Jason Hirshhorn. Give him a follow at... By underscore jbh and don't forget to check out the Substack here www.theleap.substack.com jason thank you so so much i really appreciate you man thanks for having me on mike all right so just want to say thanks again jason first time joining the show but uh, one of my good buddies here in the media i think he knocked it out of the park and talking over my head i know that but uh that's how you know he's bringing the goods uh, it's tough to keep up with him sometimes when you get him on a roll talking some NFL college football. So, once again, I could not thank Jason enough, and uh, we're going to have to have him back on the show at some point for sure. But last stop here, South Carolina. Let's kick it on down to Columbia where they introduced a number of their transfer additions that are in for spring football, which is right around the corner again for Columbia. And the star of the show, no doubt, Spencer Rattler, former Oklahoma quarterback, now looking to be QB1 down there in Columbia. He's got some of the best odds to win the Heisman Trophy in the SEC in the country. The hype train is. I'm hyping him up. I'm not trying to hype up the Heisman, but I'm hyping him up as a, a huge difference maker for South Carolina because that's what he is based on everything I've seen, still breaking down all his game footage. I really need to stop slacking on that. But I'm here to tell you, this kid is legit, and he seems ready for the challenge of coming to the SEC and trying to get South Carolina over the hump. We've already seen the program on the rise under Shane Beamer, and we weren't the only ones that saw it. Spencer Rattler, that's a big, big key for him. Just the progression Carolina made year one under Shane Beamer, a coach that he knows well, spent uh, his first two seasons at Oklahoma under Shane Beamer. And that's a big reason why Spencer Rattler is now the Gamecock quarterback here, looking to be QB one there in Columbia. Uh,
1: How much did you know about South Carolina, were able to follow South Carolina, maybe growing up or when you were in high school? And since you've been here,
2: what aspect of the program has impressed you the most? Uh, you know, growing up, uh, I love to watch college football. You know, to this day, it's my favorite thing to watch. Um, I, I grew up, I, I saw, you know, Jadavian Clowney highlights. I saw, you know, games with Marcus Lattimore, all those, ta- Al- Alshon Jeffrey, a lot of guys like that. Um, but, you know, really going through this recruiting process and the transfer portal and all that stuff, um, you know, Coach Beamer was a big, big indicator that South Carolina's doing something right. And, uh, you know, he's turning this program around, doing a great thing up here. And, uh, you know, it also, like I said, I was very comfortable with making my decision. Uh, also knowing that my tight end, Austin Stogner, will be coming with me. Um, so it just felt like a home feeling. You know, I, I got on a Zoom visit with, with the whole staff and uh, we had a great talk. They impressed me a lot. And uh, like I said, I feel I, I, like I made the right choice. And your question was, uh, you know, what, what's impressive about this place? I just think how how it's ran. It's ran like an NFL type uh, of facility. I mean, it's it's... A lot of people would be surprised it's different from where I'm coming from. It's more, you know, I feel like it's more around the players um, to where, you know, guys aren't burnt out. Guys are enjoying their time in the facility, enjoying their time around the coaches and players. And it's just a great feeling. It's a refreshing feeling.
3: Now, even people that never even watched Oklahoma didn't follow the storylines here of Rattler too closely. I'm, like I said, I'm sitting here watching all his games. He's faced a ton of adversity We know last year he lost his job to Caleb Williams. But what you may not know, his first season as a starting quarterback started out shaky the first couple of games. He actually got benched that season, too. I believe it was against Texas. He got benched for two series, I believe it was, and he come back and led Oklahoma to a win in overtime, multiple overtime game against what I believe was a senior quarterback for texas the guy that beat georgia in the bowl game there i mean if this was a quality opponent they had to face and from that point on they never lost another game and that was like the third or fourth game of 2019 under spencer rattler excuse me 2020 under spencer rattler they never lost another game at oklahoma and that spans to last season as well so hey he's faced his adversity and he's come back strong from it once before can he do it again Here's uh, Spencer Rattler on facing adversity and what he's learned during his time in college.
2: Yeah, Just wondering what you learned about yourself over the last couple of years at Oklahoma. Uh, what I've learned about myself. Um, I've learned that, you know, we, I can accomplish a lot of great things with great guys around me. Uh, I had a great team at Oklahoma for my three years there. Um, you know, I learned a lot about my leadership skills. I feel like I improved in that area since I was a freshman, you know, coming into Oklahoma. Um, you know, I learned I could go th- fight against a lot of adversity, you know, that's thrown my way. And, uh, you know, God's given me the talent to, to, you know, do my thing on the field and and help the team that I'm on, you know, as much as I can. And I'm happy I landed my feet in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, I can't wait to get this ball rolling.
3: If none of that was enough to get you fired up, South Carolina fans. Hell, I know you're fired up already. Spencer Rattler does it again here. One of his closing statements here, just on what a player's coach shane beamer is and how he welcomes input from his players all around the facility and i think this is a big reason why shane beamer is kicking ass in recruiting particularly the transfer portal and raising the talent profile of the south carolina gamecocks let's kick it over to spencer rattler one more time
0: hey spencer a lot of your Teammates who just transferred in talked about a big difference in atmosphere here Can you kind of just talk to that narrative between the difference in atmosphere at Oklahoma and what Beamer's got going here?
2: I think I think Beamer just has a great sense of awareness for what his players want and what they need um, He's a player's first coach um, Everything in the facility is based around the players and what what we feel like is comfortable what We feel is going to be beneficial um, and just hearing that that we all have input That's that's something that was a big decision uh, factor for me, you know coming here uh, knowing i walk into a building every day where guys have input in, in, in what's going on. And I think that's a, that's a big-time thing, and a lot of other programs don't have it. So uh, Coach Beamer's leading this place in the right direction, and I know he's going to keep doing a great job. All right, so, hey,
3: that's all we got on this episode of the show. And like I said, next episode is going to be a special one. Hopefully I can pull it off. Hopefully we don't screw it up. But well, we're going to have a uh, in-studio guest for the first time, talking to some old Miss football that's the plan anyway so hey, be on the lookout for that on Friday it's gonna be a unique one if you haven't watched on YouTube yet Friday may be the one for you because we're we're gonna be doing it live in a recruit in a recording studio downtown Nashville should be a great great time I'll see if I can get the guests to drink on the show I'm planning on doing it myself so we'll see how it goes what could go wrong right so A little trial run before shane and i meet together for our fireside chat but that's gonna do it for this episode of the show i appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one